Josh, what a sweet time of worship. Thank you guys for leading us. <clears throat> if there is a, uh, a crazier month and a half of the year than that kind of mid-November to kind of that mid-January, I don't know what it would be, right? Um, I can this month and a half little stretch. Otherwise, sane human beings turn into these wild, crazed animals. You know what I'm talking about? Like this, this mid-November to mid-January stretch. Um, I mean, otherwise, normal people go crazy. Okay, now, um, if you don't believe me, I've got two words for you. Black Friday, right? Okay, so, <laughs> oh gosh, uh, Thanksgiving, Laura and I had a great Thanksgiving. We um, got to go up to Oklahoma, spend some incredible time with our family. Uh, my dad's sister married a guy and, and his family that owns a 10,000-acre ranch. And so we're just in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the promised land. Right? Or not? Okay, don't hate me. Okay, so, so we're in the middle of Oklahoma, on the middle of a 10,000-acre ranch, and we've just got great family. We're reminiscing, some I hadn't seen in a while, um, some incredible cousins, just getting to spend time with people that I love and care for. We laughed a ton. And in the middle of all that, a Home Depot ad, I would call Home Depot heaven on earth, I don't know what you call that place, but um, a Home Depot ad landed before me, and uh, this this light shone from heaven, uh, you see the sarcasm, on this shop vac in the middle of this ad. This shop vac is a 16-gallon shop vac, normally, does does somebody else know this? Maybe you've seen this ad. Okay, so a 16-gallon shop back, $100 normal retail price, $19.97, not even $20, right? And so um, the light shone on it. I heard this voice from heaven, you've got to get this. That is calling your name. And so I look over at Laura and make a life-altering decision. Babe, we're there. 6 a.m., we are at Home Depot. And so the next morning rolls around, we stumble out of bed, we grab our Starbucks coffee, we make our, way to head de- uh, make our way to Home Depot, and at that moment, I realize something is wrong with the world. We get there at probably 5.45, literally. There are a couple of hundred people snaking out of the door, just waiting. I mean, something is wrong. It's freezing outside, and they are joyfully freezing in that weather to be in that line. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We had Caleb with us. He's three, three weeks old. He got his first Black Friday experience. Can you believe that? He's going to be a change boy. Um, so we're like, we can't get out in the cold and wait in the cold with a three-week-old. So we sit in there, and we're kind of making our plan. Like, what's going to go first? Shop back is obviously the thing going to go first. So we're trying to figure out how we're going to get to the shop back. How's this going to work out? And uh, 6 a.m., the doors open. We get Caleb out, throw him in a cart. And we're sprinting for the door, right? Okay, so there's a line 200 people long. All of a sudden, we're walking across this parking lot. And Jesus showed up at Home Depot, I kid you not. The contractor door on the other side opened up. Nobody was there. Nobody. We're walking, whoa, here we go. I walk into the contractor's side. We're like the third person into Home Depot. The first thing we do is obviously ask the person, and, and uh, let me back up and say, I just went in like a frenzy. I didn't know what I was doing. I just started walking into the store thinking I was going to find whatever. Okay, Laura, the sane one of us at this point, asked somebody, where is the shop vac? 
Jesus showed up again. It's on that aisle right next to us. Okay, now at this moment, I hear that conversation happening. At this moment, I look down to where this other, like the other door, a couple hundred people long, people streaming in. I hear, like, first of all, I look down and literally, same human, wild, crazy animals coming down the aisle. If a baby would have been in that aisle, they would have died right there. Okay, there was no stopping. There was, they're running down the aisle. And I hear this question shouted as they're coming down the aisle. Where is the shop back? Okay, in that moment, I stop. And I'm like, man, Laura knows. So I get behind Laura and I just start, I'm trailing her. Where, where she, I'm going where she's going. We get to the shop back. We're like the third person at the shop back. We both hold our shop back up. We are the champion starts playing in the background. Confetti starts falling. And we're throwing this stuff in the cart, right? Okay, now, I'm just telling you. Otherwise, sane people go crazy. The month of December, it is insane. Okay, there are parties that are on the calendar. There are gifts to be bought. And let me just say this with gifts to be bought. Um, I I think last year, Americans spent $460 billion on Christmas. That roughly equates into $1,000 a family. And I would say in our demographic, in our area, it's probably much more than that. And can I just tell you that it's okay to say no. You don't have to be that. You don't have to do that. Like, it's okay to tell your kid that you're not going to buy them a gift that they're going to love in January and throw away in February, right? It's okay. And so um, there are gifts to be bought. And I'm telling you, like, you, you just risk your life to go to a mall. That doesn't stop at Black Friday. Uh, so the month of December is crazy. We buy these gifts, and there's this stress level that accompanies December because we're buying gifts typically with money that we don't have that we try to have to figure out how we're going to pay this back in January. So there's this stress level that comes along with it. Um, out on top of that, there's this family dynamic. If you're normal in here, it probably means you have a dysfunctional family in some way, shape, or form, right? And if you don't think you're due, you probably are that guy, you know? And so... You add on top of that that there is a family dynamic that kind of comes together around the holidays. And I'm just saying this. It has the ability to dominate your life. Busyness and chaos has the ability to rule and reign in you. And, and here's the truth for us. This isn't just like a December thing. Um, like every time, like I don't know if you've ever been here, but like I'll have in my mind, if I can just get through this then when I get to that month, things will be different. Have you ever noticed when you get to that month, things are no different, you know? And so it's not just the December thing. Like, I think where we're going this morning, we're gonna be in Luke chapter 10. Where we're going this morning is a life thing. It's a life thing. That we have the ability to be ruled and dominated and we have the ability to let chaos reign in us. So I think there's a real needed word for us to hear out of Luke 10 this morning. Um, th- there are some necessary things in life, very few, and then there are the peripheral. And we cannot be the sort of pe- people that let the peripheral win. We can't be the sort of people that let the peripheral rule our life. We can't do that. Okay, so Luke chapter 10, let me, let me catch you up as to where we are here. 
um, this is one of the sweetest sections in the Bible. Um, Jesus is not doing a lot of miracles in the middle part of Luke, kind of this little section, maybe that, those chapters in the teens. He, here's his main point. He is trying to teach the disciples what it's going to mean for them to carry on this movement. So he is investing into his disciples, teaching them about what it means to be a disciple. So you have some real rich teaching sections in this middle part of Luke here. Like he has already taught them about how you have to take up your cross, deny self, and you have to make this decision of the will to follow him. Okay, so that's a part of what it means to be a disciple. When you get into Luke chapter 10, he's just told them that, okay, you want to know what it means to love your neighbor? It would be like this Samaritan man and you helping him. It, it would be like crossing these racial barriers and loving the downtrodden. Loving those who don't look like you, aren't from the same class of people as you. It would be jumping over all these barriers and giving your life away to those people. Okay, then these five verses sit at the end of chapter 10 that, uh, let me read these to you. Starting in verse 38, it goes like this. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. Okay, so this is what Jesus is doing. He's going from village to village. In uh, Luke chapter 9, it says he's resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. So he's crisscrossing the countryside, going to these villages on his way to Jerusalem, teaching about the kingdom, teaching about what it means to be a follower of his, a disciple of his. So now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Okay, now I want you to see the contrast here. You're You're about to see two pictures. You're about to see this, this picture of Martha and this picture of Mary. Now watch how this unfolds. Verse 39. And, uh, okay, now a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary. Now here, here's the first picture. Who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Who sat at the Lord's feet and listened. Here's the second picture. Verse 40. Signals this contrast, this but. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve you alone? Tell her then to help me. I mean, you need to come on my side here and tell her to get with it, to get busy. Verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. But one thing is necessary. Martha has, or Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Okay, now let me, let me stop before we jump into where, how I want to teach this this morning and say this. That uh, when I hear this sermon, ta- like this, this passage taught, a lot of times you hear it presented to where Mary and Martha are the dominating figures. Like where they are the story. But, but they are not the story. Jesus is the story. Jesus is the hero of the story. He's the point of the story. Okay, now when you read this, I just want to set this in the backdrop as we move forward. When you read this, you need to see that Jesus is the deal here. That when we set before Jesus, that is where clarity, purpose, that's where all those things happen. So Jesus is the hero. But here's what I want to do. I want to try to unpack the profile of Martha and then the profile of Mary. And I want to ask you this question. Where do you see yourself in this story? Can you see, is there a little portrait being drawn, being artistically displayed of you in this story? Okay, so here we go. I want to read this really slowly one more time with you. And and let's just ask the question, what do we see about Martha here? Okay, so verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed, welcomed him into, and it says this phrase, her house. 
So, okay, that's a little bit of a loaded statement. Like in that day and age, you, you wouldn't have typically a woman owning a house. And so there's some things underneath, there's some layers to that. So you can imply a couple of things here. One, you could probably imply that Martha was either married or that she was married and, and her husband had died. Okay, so you've kind of got this woman that has the burden of, man, I've got the weight of the world on me and no man beside me right now. You know, I mean, that, there's a weight that comes along with being a single woman. Okay, you could also probably imply that she was the older sibling. So you've got Mary and Martha. Um, if it's her house, it probably means that she's the older one. So you've got this weight with she is now the caretaker. The responsibility falls on her. Like she feels the weight of all of that. She's the protector here. Okay, so let's keep going. Um, verse 39 is going to be a, a, a Mary verse. And you pick it back up in verse 40. And here's what it's going to say about Martha. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Uh, underline those words, much serving. And, and here's what it, the Bible's telling us here. That Martha was a busy lady. She was busy. I mean, just imagine this scene. You've got um, 12 disciples and Jesus. 13 people just entered your house. Jesus and the entourage has just showed up. Now, ladies, can you imagine what that does to you? You know what I'm saying? Like, we are no longer, like, the guests are not the deal. Now it's how do we take care of 13 people that just showed up. So just imagine Mary. She is busy with much serving. So she is worried now about, man, we've got to fix a meal. We've got to get the table set. Who's going to brew the tea? Now, where are they going to sleep? What are we going to do about that? Okay, we're waking up this morning. What's breakfast going to be? She's got a variety of thoughts going in her brain right now. She is consumed with much serving. She is chaotic and she is busy at this moment. Welcome to modern day America. Amen? Our culture values chaos. It values it. We pl- okay, listen to me. We place significance on opening up our calendar and it looking like an ink pen threw up all over it. You know what I'm saying? We value that. We value, like we hold up and we praise. I've got 342 meetings scheduled this week. I, we, we call that good, you know? I, we value chaos. I, I heard this interview with Bill Gates a few years ago, and he made this comment. He said, from 19, I think it was 78 to 1984, a six-year span, he said, I took six days off. And that was in admiration. It was like, look at what I have done. That is not good. The Bible doesn't lift that up and say, do this. The, value, the Bible doesn't do that. That is craziness. That is chaos. We live in a world that values that. I asked this question um, a couple of years ago to a lot of the students at the church that I came from. I just said, hey, are you stressed out? I mean, these are seventh graders. Man, I am stressed to the T. I'm freaking out. And I would ask, Why, what's the deal? I don't even know. I'm just stressed. You know what? I think they learn that. I, I, think it's a learn, I think they see that play itself out in a thousand different ways in moms and dads and people all around them. Like they have learned that we live in a go, 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 go world, in a world that values getting things done, getting more things done. I mean, if you live in a work environment, here's what the work environment typically is. Get a lot done. You got a lot done? We'll get a little more done. You got more done? We'll get some more done. That's the world we live in, right? I mean, we live in an overcrowded, chaotic, scheduling world. I mean, just open up your calendar and look at that thing. There's, There's probably a problem with it. 
I've, okay, so, so we live in an overcommitted, I've, we've got this thing where um, we have a hard time saying no. So our kids got five different, you know, leagues they're on. They've got 40,000 different things they're doing, extracurricular activities. I mean, it's just a go, 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 never slow down, always hurry, never simplify, but always be frazzled. That's the world that we value. I mean, that's, that's, that's us. That is our culture, how we live. And it's not good. I mean, we are the much-serving culture. Okay, so um, work weeks, I think it was in the 1970s, the typical work week in America was 40 hours a week. Now, when they projected forward, they said, you know, in 25 to 30 years, we think that the average work week is going to be 25 to 30 hours a week. That almost happened, right? So I think the typical work week in America now is 50 hours a week. And for some of you, 50 hours looks like a vacation, right? Um, I, I read a New York Times article a couple of years ago. Um, this was, I think, in 2006. And they said that the lowest amount ever, percentage-wise, were taking vacations. And when we take vacations, they're working vacations. Working vacate. those two words don't go together. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't work and be on vacation. It's like saying tall jockey doesn't go together, right? And so working va- vacation doesn't work. Like when you take your laptop with you, that's not a vacation. I, and I, I wrote these statistics down. I want to read these to you. I, I think it's just interesting. 50% of people on vacations keep up with voicemails. 80% take their cell phones. 25% take office calls. I mean, come on. This is the culture we live in. And if truth be known, it probably looks a lot like you and I. Okay, so I think there needs to be this that maybe happens in here. Um, for us to acknowledge that our culture probably is a little bit sick in this area and that to conform to a sick culture isn't good. Like it's not normal, it means that we're sick, you know? And so I think there might need to be a step back and ask ourselves the question, does that look like us? Is busyness reigning in our hearts? Is chaos all over the place? has the ink pen threw up on the calendar. Okay, now I'm aware in a room like this that some of us need to hear this. Um, Some of us need to hear, you're 25 years old. Stop sleeping till 3 o'clock. Get out of your Star Wars pajamas and get a job, right? Some of us need to hear that. Okay, some of us need to hear, stop checking your Facebook for 15 hours a day. Stop watching ESPN for nine hours a day. Okay, some of us need to hear, but I think the overwhelming majority of us need to hear this this morning. Beware of of busyness in your life. Beware of that. Beware of chaos ruling. Okay, let's keep going here. Verse 40. Um, busyness has an end game. It doesn't just stop. Like, busyness doesn't just make you crazy and then it's, it's finished. I, I want you to see what this does to Martha. Uh, look at verse 40 again. I want you to circle another word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. So the much serving part really isn't the problem. It's the fact that Martha was not only busy, but she was distracted by her busyness. She was a distracted woman. Okay, and this is what busyness does. Busyness will always breed distraction. That's what it does in us. Here's the truth. 
I hope God will kind of settle over your heart today is that busyness will rob you of the richest portions of life if you let it. Okay, now I want you to make sure you hear this. Dad's in here. You cannot have a deep relationship with your wife if busyness rules. You can't. It's impossible. You, wives, if your heart is always hurried, you will not have a deep relationship with your husband. Parents, if your life is always hurried, you will not have a deep relationship with your kids. It's an impossibility. Even more pressing, if your life is hurried, it is an impossibility for you to have a deep relationship with God. It's an imp- you can't do it. It is an impossibility if all you are is chaos, all you are is hurry, all you are is, bi- it's an impossibility. All of those things take margin. All of those things take time in our life. Okay, now I, I think this is a really interesting statement that I heard a few years ago. I was listening to a guy preach and he made this comment. He said, seldom do you see an older believer who is zealous. Seldom do you see a 50-year-old man that is hungry after the things of God. Seldom do you see a 60-year-old man hungry for the things of God. Seldom do you see a 70, 80-year-old man hungry. And I mean passionate about Jesus. Seldom do you see that. I mean, where are, where are the 50, 60, 70, 80-year-old men that have this kind of an idea of like a David in the Psalms 27 that's going to say, there is one thing I'm asking. That one thing is not retirement. That one thing is Jesus. I mean, where are like the, the Philippians 3, the Pauls, where he's going to say, there is one thing I do. There's not a thousand, but there is one thing that dominates everything else. And we could back that down. We could back that down to 25, 30, 35. Where are the men who fill that role? Where are the, the women who, who jump into that? Where are the 60-year-old men that rather than coasting, are leading courageously the charge for Jesus. You want to know, okay, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of layers to that question. Let me tell you one of the top ones. We have become distracted. That's the thing. When we're 30, we get 40 things that we're doing and not the one thing. Listen, there will always be a thousand things vying for your attention. Always. There will always be a hundred invitations. But there is one thing that is necessary. If we become distracted now, we will never be who God has called us to be then. Busyness distracts us. So let me ask you this question. Have you grown distracted by life? And this is the grind. This is what life does. I mean, this is hobbies. Hobbies are great. Hunting is great. Woodworking is great. You just fill in your, your kind of your thing. They're all great. Have you become distracted by them? That's the question. Like, I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. It says this, Hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. Okay, that's how it plays out in life. You want to know one of, one of your adversaries' greatest strategies to keep you off course is just simple invitations of good things just not the necessary thing. That, that's his greatest strategy. I mean, we have got a whole culture that is amusing themselves to death. 
I mean, you can flip on any TV. I mean, you've got the TV in front of you 24-7. You've got great movies. We've got great games. On There's a thousand different things that are all beckoning you. All just saying, come and enjoy. But none of those things are the main thing. You know what I'm saying? This is one of Satan's primary ways to get you off course. I mean, this is the Luke 8, when, when you've got this imagery of Jesus throwing seed out. Some lands on the rock, some on the path, but some in the thorns. And these thorns are the life's worries, anxieties, troubles. And here's what it says. All those things choke out a believer. They choke out Jesus in our life. And here's the end product. It says this, you read Luke chapter 8. It's going to say this, that the end game is they don't grow to maturity. You know, we've got a lot of people who are not growing to maturity only because we have been distracted and being choked by life, right? Busyness distracts. So, so here's, I think, the plea this morning is not to let peripheral things dominate your life. To make sure you are not... Okay, now look at Mary here, or Martha. She is not doing bad things. She is, okay, if 13 people walk into your house, you know what you're going to do? You're going to be hospitable. The Bible commands that. The Bible values that. That is a good thing. We are to welcome people, show hospitality to people. But listen to me. We're not to do that at the expense of Jesus. We need to beware of serving Jesus at the cost of sitting with Jesus. We need to beware of serving Jesus at the cost of sitting with Jesus. Okay, let's keep going. It gets a little bit worse. She was discouraged. Not only was she distracted, but she's also going to be really discouraged. Like, watch how this plays out. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care for me? I mean, do you not care what's going on here? That my sister has left me to serve alone. Okay, so can you see what's happened there? I mean, there has been a perspective shift. I mean, she has settled into some self-centeredness. I mean, she, her perspective, her attitude has drastically changed. The joy that should accompany serving has all been altered. And now everything has changed. Now it's this indictment of Jesus. And he does care. Don't you care? I mean, do you not see what's going on here? Am I the only one that sees a massive problem? Okay, and then look at the response here. She says, tell her then to help. Come to the rescue and get this thing solved. We've got a problem. You've got the answer. You tell her, and let's get this going. Make sure she comes into this hectic world with me. Make sure she joins in the busyness. Busyness, all oh, it loves friends, you know? It loves to pull people in right along with you. There, there was this book out at, on Amazon a couple of years ago. I think it's just a real telling. I think this is the culture. Okay, it, the, the title of the book goes like this. Crazy Busy. That's the title of the book. Crazy Busy, colon. Here's kind of the part after that. Overstretched, overbooked, and about to snap. That's the name of the book. Do you feel that? That is what busyness does to us. It, it just leaves us on the edge of about to snap. It leaves us on the edge of, I might kill somebody tomorrow. That's what busyness does to us. It's discouraging. It, it makes you tired. Now look at how Jesus kind of finishes this. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha. Okay, that's a double vocative, and that means it's a tender response. It's not Jesus saying, Martha, you are an idiot. 
It's, it's Jesus saying this, Martha, and Martha, listen to me. Your life does not have to look like this. You do not have to live dominated by busyness. Hear what I'm saying. There is life in these words. Martha, Martha. It's a tender response. And look what he says. You are anxious and troubled about many things. That is most of our lives. Anxious and troubled about a lot of different things. Okay, now here comes the shift. Now I hope you can see yourself. I can see myself there. I hope you can see yourself somewhere in that portrait. Here comes the shift. Verse 42 starts with this one word. Circle this word in, in your Bible there. But... And if there's anything I want to do for you over the next few weeks and months, it's to just simply insert this one word into your life, but. In the middle of your crazy next month, but. In the middle of your 90 different Christmas parties, but. In the middle of your long work week, but. In the middle of, as a mom, getting all these things done around the home, but. This one, just, just to insert this into your, into your life, this word, but. Now listen to what he says. But one thing is necessary. So Martha, you're doing all of these things, even good things, but one thing is necessary. Listen, the greatest challenges in our life are not good versus evil. They're good versus best. That is, this is why Paul in Philippians 1 is going to say, Man, I'm praying discernment for you that you will be able to distinguish what is good and what is best and that you will choose the best. That's, that's Philippians 1.10. That you will be able to have the discernment to choose what is best. And let me tell you what is killing us in this room. It, by and large, it is not evil things. What is killing us in this room are good things, just not the best things. Martha is full of doing good things. But she has met... I, I think if Martha would read this story, she would say, Man, I'm serving, I'm being hospitable, the, the food is cooked, the table is set... But Jesus is in the room and I missed him. Jesus was there and I didn't even know it. And I think it is real easy for you and I to live life tomorrow, the next day, the next week, the next month. Jesus all along to be in the room without us knowing it. For him to be in your home, never know it. For him to be in this building, never know it. Okay, now look at Mary here says this about Mary. Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus, right? Verse 39. She's sitting and she's listening. And this is what Jesus says about her. Mary has chosen the good portion. She's chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So I think if there's maybe two things about Mary, here's the two things. Number one, Mary chose. And so you, okay, the gra- gravity in your life, just the natural pull of life is always going to lead you to chaos. That is natural. Gra- if you have got kids in your home, you know that your home does not stay clean. If you do not keep cleaning your home with kids in your home, you will swear a nuclear bomb went off somewhere in there. I mean, so- it just tore apart three rooms, right? You have got to constantly update that, constantly keep that if you do not constantly fight against, pull back against busyness and chaos in your life, gravity will always take you there. It's entropy. For those of you who are in kind of the scientific world, if you just leave things alone, they have a natural tendency to go into disorder. That is our life. So we have got to, we have got to make specific choices to put the right things into our life. 
specific choices to do that. I heard this time management guy speaking one time to the book, and here's what he said. Um, he, he's before this class of, of some good, sharp college guys, and he's got this big open mouth, one gallon jar in front of him, and he puts these fist-sized rocks in there, fills it to the brim, fist-sized rock in this one gallon jar. He looks at the class and says, hey, do we have a full jar? Can we fit another rock in? Can we fit in? Can, I mean, is it full? And the class says, well, yeah, it's full. He pulls out some gravel, empties the gravel into the jar, fills it to the brim. Are we full? They're kind of catching on. No, we are, there's something that will fit in there, right? Um, pulls out the sand, puts sand over the top, shakes it, fills it to the brim. Are we full? Class says, I'm not answering yes, right? So pulls out water, pours water in, fills it to the brim. And he says, what's the point? And the guy says, okay, here's the point. Um, I think the point would be, doesn't matter how busy you are, how crazy life gets, you can always fit something else in. Welcome to our life right there, right? He looks back and says, no, that is not the point. The point is this. If you do not put the rocks in first, they will never make it in. Okay, now listen to me here. If the if the rocks in your life, the main things are not strategically and ruthlessly put into your life, they will never make it. Can I just ask you a question? Are the main things in it? The necessary thing, is it in it? And look, it's going to say that, that not only did she choose, but she chose the good portion. And listen, here's what the good portion is. It is sitting and listening to Jesus. That is the good portion. That's what she chose. And listen, there is no more rewarding thing than that. But listen, there is no more difficult thing than that. Slowing down, stopping, margin in our life for the, rock, for the main things. Okay, so, so let's close with a couple of ideas here. I want to give one, one last thing and then two practical applications. We all have hobbies. I get hobbies Man, I get that the spreadsheet, the 2010 budget has to be filled out by somebody, right? I mean, I get that there are jobs to do. I get that there is life that has to happen. But listen to me. You will not get more done on your own. You will get more done sitting before Jesus and doing the right things. You will get more done sitting and listening to Jesus that is where you will get more done. I heard this said of Billy Graham. Somebody asked him in an interview, if you had three years left to live, what would you do? Here's his response. I would spend two with Jesus, praying and reading scripture and studying, and I would spend one preaching. If you do not sit and listen to Jesus, you will be useless in life. Okay, two practical things and, and we're done. Number one prioritize Jesus into your life. The one, the necessary thing is not your hobby. The necessary thing is not the cowboys. The necessary thing is not a movie. The necessary thing is Jesus. Ruthlessly prioritize him into your life. Um, I, I, one time I tried to kind of get my head around the, the people in history that God has used, used. What is the commonality? There's some theological differences. There's some practical differences. There's a lot of differences in men that God has used. But let me tell you, I think the one commonality, all of them are diligent to spend time with Jesus. 
That's the commonality. If you want to be useful to your king, spend time with your king. Ruthlessly prioritize Jesus into your life. Okay, last thing, and then then we'll kind of go, and this is a Christmas thing. The next two or three weeks of the year are beautiful teaching moments for families. And you know, like when I look back, my my biggest memories of Christmas, like here's one of my biggest. I remember I was probably like fourth grade or something. I wanted a bicycle, opened up all my gifts, and the bicycle wasn't there. Like I'm ready to body slam somebody, right? And so um, all of a sudden, I'm, you know, I'm moping around. My dad wills the bicycle out of the back room. That was a beautiful moment. Never, it's still, I kind of smile thinking about it today, right? And so, okay, now listen to me here. But you know what? I don't have a ton of memories centered on Jesus is your greatest gift. You know? And so, like, I, I want to encourage you as a family to make sure your family has memories. Jesus is the greatest gift. I mean, this thing is about Jesus this two or three weeks, right? This is all about Jesus coming and saving. This is about Jesus. Now, I want to give you one resource to do that. Um, if you'll look on christmasinmidlothian.com, we have 12 devotions set up to lead into Christmas. They're real user-friendly for families. They were built for you as a family, you as a mom and dad, to do them with your family. You can go to christmasinmidlothian.com, click on 12 days of Christmas, and you can do 12 days leading up to, starts tomorrow. So now I would encourage you to make sure your family feels Jesus is the gift. Pray with me. So let me ask you the question. I, I mean, this is, this is really the question of the morning. I, I think the beautiful thing about this passage is, is it offers a beautiful invitation. Mary is a woman. In that day, it was unheard of for a woman to sit at the rabbi, at the teacher's feet. And Jesus is saying, listen, anybody's welcome at my feet. Anybody. So there's this beautiful invitation that just beckons us come and and sit here. Don't don't choose the path of chaos. It is like drinking poison to your soul. Don't, Don't choose that. Choose the good portion. It has this idea of a feast. Feast on the things that will nourish you. Feast on the things that will that will help your soul move and help your soul grow. Feast on those things. Don't don't drink the poison here. Choose the necessary, the good portion. So there's this open invitation. But I think it comes along with this question, is that happening? Like, look at your life. Are you choosing the good portion? Are you drinking the Drano of busyness? I mean, before long, you're going to be in a corner with a leg just twitching, Right? And so, are you drinking, are you, are you sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to Him? Is that a priority to open up the scriptures and say, Jesus, speak. That is the primary way the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you. Are we opening this? Is it prioritized? Is the rock in place? Or have we become overburdened, overstretched, 3,000 things going on, a million good things, just not the necessary thing. And 
God isn't saying, Rodney, you idiot, what are you doing? Here, here's the voice I've heard this week. Rodney, you don't have to live that way. Stop doing that. It's toxic. It's not good for you. Stop doing that. Come and sit at my feet. And here, here's the great, you don't, have to, you don't have to know a certain amount of things to sit at his feet. You don't have to reach a certain level of holiness to sit at his feet. It's this open invitation to come and dwell, come and abide, come and sit, come and connect yourself into the tree, come and sit at the feet of Jesus and drink. So what's it going to be for you? I mean, I think the hardest thing as a preacher, all you get to do is throw it out and say, this is where life is, this is where death is, this is where hope is found, this is where it's not. Now, I just want to encourage you um, to not allow busyness to lead you out of here with no alterations into life. So we're going to sing this last song. Um, and this is just going to be a moment for you to respond. I mean, if you want to come and use this stage as an altar, you can. If you want to use your seat, you can do that. And so I would encourage you to, to, to ask ruthless questions. Is the one thing in place. The one thing. Is it there? The one thing. Is it got the place of priority? Or has it been shoved out, pushed out by a thousand grains of sand? God, I pray that you would help us in that. God, I pray that we would be people who sit at your feet. That is where we grow in zeal for you. When we sit at your feet, that's where strength is had. When we sit at your feet, that is where peace is found. God, when we sit at your feet, that is where your grace washes over. So God, help us to be people who put margin into our lives so we can sit and listen to you. God, help us be that. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand with us?